Revelation. And uh, if you would open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, uh, there is an ongoing story uh, of Revelation for me as I look at it and study the text. And then there is this constant tension and encouragement in the book uh, to help encourage the Christians to remain faithful, to stay uh, in this sort of enduring position, uh, enduring in their faith in Christ. And so I, I've just made it as simple as the book of Revelation is about not giving up on Jesus and not giving in to the world. And if we can keep that sort of framework uh, in mind as we're reading through it, some of the uh, crazy stuff that starts happening, it doesn't sound to us like three nonlinear points or uh, whatever gibberish you were talking about, Kevin. There was something there, um, but it reminded me of when I'm substitute teaching in math class and they want me to do the assignment. And I think, you guys, this isn't happening. You know, uh, It's been a while. So uh, as we dig into the text, I just want to keep uh, things simple but encouraging. And that is that Revelation is trying to help us to not give in to the world and, and to encourage us to not give up on who Jesus is. And so what we will see constantly through the book is a sort of majestic picture of who Christ is so that we, uh, we see this clear vision of his glory and his splendor that we continue to marvel at him and so to capture our sort of hearts and then also it will elevate and glorify Christ in, uh, in what he has done and what victory he's given. And so it's this constant sort of reminder that we don't need to give up because, because Christ is victorious in all things. And then we don't, need to, uh, we don't need to chase after the world or any of those things because of the glory and splendor and beauty of who Christ is in all that he's accomplished. And so Revelation chapter 1 after you get through the introductory information, in chapter 1, verse 9, we begin sort of uh, the letter and what is going on. And so we uh, will start right there in John or in uh, Revelation 1, 9. I, John, your brother and your companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen what is not, and what is, 
uh, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right, so we'll get right after it. Starting in verse 9, I see a picture of uh, an outline for how we might understand uh, Revelation 1, 2, and 3. And it says, John is a brother and companion in suffering in the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. I think that what, uh, what John is pointing us towards is, is that he is a companion with the churches, companion with them in at least three ways. In suffering, they're all going to endure suffering in certain ways. They're partners together in the kingdom of Christ. And they're partners together in the sort of patient endurance that it takes uh, to be faithful and, and uh, obedient to Christ. When we, uh, when we take this sort of outline and you lay it up against chapters 2 and 3, you begin seeing maybe a little bit of uh, what's going on. And so I will do that shortly. But before we, we get there, I want to talk about the island of Patmos. And the island of Patmos is more than the location of the vision. I think that John tells us where he is for an important reason. And I think it offers him this sort of equal footing and trustworthiness. If John is going to start saying, hey, I know what it's like for you to suffer. I know what it's like uh, to feel ostracized in the world. I know what it feels like to want to give up and give in to the world. When John says, I was on the island of Patmos, he says that I ended up there because of the word of God and the testimony of, about Jesus. John ends up ostracized. He, is, uh, he, he could have had his head chopped off. Instead, they chose to send him to the island of Patmos to be uh, ostracized from, uh, from, uh, from the mainland, I guess. I don't know where he was <laughs> before that. Uh, probably among the churches there uh, in modern-day Turkey. And so John is excommunicated, and he could have had his head chopped off, but he is isolated. And he would have had experienced all sorts of pressures there. There were gods and idols that were uh, among the people on the island. There would have been pressures of every sort of way, of temptations to fall away from Christ. Yet he can write this letter and he can write this encouragement to the churches. And so I think being on the island of Patmos gives him sort of equal footing so he can start saying, you guys, I know what it means to suffer and I am a partner with you. I am a companion with you in suffering. I am a companion with you in the kingdom of Christ because of my testimony and what I believe about who Jesus is. And he says, I know what it takes and I am going to encourage you with all I have to be patient and endure for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And so I think it gives him this sort of trustworthy to the message. And a little bit of credibility to say what he needs to say because eventually he's going to start uh, really busting their chops for their lack of faithfulness. And he's going to sort of not hold back any punches for the lack of faithfulness among some of the churches and what's going on. Because in uh, chapters 2 and 3, it's the letters to the churches and what we will see is, is that there's times where they aren't faithful, where they aren't willing to um, make the hard decisions, and where they're compromising in their faith and their loyalties to Christ. And so 
I think it's important that he tells us that he's on the island because it gives him credibility. It gives him this, uh, this voice among the people to give them encouragement. Much could be said about the churches that are written to. If you jump down a little bit, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. There's uh, about a thousand different interpretations. Uh, one of them is that each church represents an era of uh, an era of church history, and people will meticulously go through and show that. And I think it's hogwash. Here's here's the simple explanation: why these churches and why this order? Uh, it's because that's if you were a letter carrier, this is the order that you would have gone to them. I know, it's really complicated, isn't it? But this is how the churches would have been addressed, and it's sort of like, as the letter carrier, it would have gone to each of them. That one's the simplest, and it makes the most sense to me, and so I'm running with it. I, and I'd encourage you to do the same. And don't, don't try and make uh, too much out of it. But the fact that there are seven churches is a sense that this is for all churches and for all churches for all time. This sort of call to faithfulness, this call to be... Um, uh, to be suffering servants for the uh, for Christ and His kingdom, this call for us to turn from the world and and immorality and to trust in God and seek Him, and so I see John developing several different things here right out of the gate. But foremost, it's these things that he's a companion with us in. It gives us a framework, I think, for how we might understand what we can do as Christians, uh, trying to live in the world. I've been reflecting about what uh, what life might have been like on an island, ostracized from everyone you loved. And it can feel like, I, I, I think, um, metaphorically in a way, that living as a Christian in our current climate can feel an awful lot like we are ostracized and excluded and not really having a sense of how we might navigate our faithful living in Christ. So how do we live faithfully in the name of Jesus Christ? where our values, where our beliefs, where our convictions run contradictory to a world bent on evil and death and immorality? How do we navigate our Christian journey as people who long to be faithful to Christ, yet feel constant pressure to give in to the culture around us, to look more like the culture? How do we not give in to the temptation to give up on Jesus? And it's these encouragements that I want to share with you this morning, and I want to reflect on John, our brother and companion in suffering in the kingdom and patient endurance. I think three questions arise out of uh, this companionship with Paul or with John, and that is the first is: Is there a suffering to endure for the sake of my witness and testimony? It's right there in our notes. Is there a suffering? Is there a suffering to endure for the sake of my witness and testimony? Um, I, uh, growing up, played a game Uncle with my older brother. Anybody familiar with the game Uncle? Yeah, it was a brutal game, you know. And uh, having a three and a half year old uh, older, a three and a half years older brother, um, I lost an awful lot in the game of Uncle, and I never really had a lot of decision making in the matter. Like it was, let's play Uncle, and it was quick. I, uncle, Uncle. Now, when I think about uh, the sort of ease of giving up quickly, um, the Christian faith is not one where we can quickly say Uncle and give up on it. 
we are called to a sort of steadfast faithfulness. And what I feel like sometimes is we, um, we've been sold a, sort of a, a false Christianity where uh, we get uh, painted a very beautiful picture of uh, you get to go to heaven and this is all wonderful and good. And we forget about the sort of ongoing tension of the way that you are called to live is going to run contradictory to uh, everything uh, that, uh, that you're used to and accustomed to. That you're going to be called out of a way of self, uh, selfishness to a selfless life. You're going to be called to give of yourself daily. And so the gospel that Jesus preached is the one that we're trying to echo in our words to each other as we encourage one another along, along in our faithfulness to Christ. And we say if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we say that we also need to be bearers of our own crosses, that we need to learn to deny ourselves. And so when we paint a nice, beautiful picture of, hey, you know, everybody, you, you get to come and be saved and uh, we need to also remind ourselves that to follow Jesus is to run contradictory to a world that's bent on evil, that's bent on destruction, that's bent on selfishness, that's filled with sin. And Christ is calling us to a life of righteousness and faithfulness to him. And I, so I, I look at the tension of trying to live a faithful life following Jesus Christ. And there are so many times that I think it would just be a lot easier to give up. And I don't think I'm the only one. It's a lot easier to give in. It's a lot easier to say, you know, I'm not going to give. I'm not going to serve. I'm, not, I'm just going to do my thing. And, and, and we all get it, don't we? And I think John gets it, and he, he encourages the churches that aren't giving up easily. If you look at Ephesus, it says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. That's in uh, two two. If you look at Smyrna, you see, um, you see in verse uh, uh, in verse nine. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. If you look at Pergamum, you, uh, in uh, two verse thirteen, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You do not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. In each of the churches, John writes, I know what you're going through. And some of them hang on and some of them give up. To the church in Smyrna, he says, I know your poverty, I know your afflictions, I know that you have chosen not to engage in the economy of the world because to engage in the economy in Smyrna would mean that you would give your loyalties to the, uh, to the uh, uh, idols of the culture. And friends, I don't know that I am fully aware of how, I live faith, or how I'm called to live faithfully here in our neck of the woods. You know, to not engage in the economy and suffer affliction for it. I mean, I run the risk of sounding like a communist if I say maybe we shouldn't consume all the things that we've been consuming. But to speak out against the sort of slavery that it takes for us to have the clothing that we wear, or how many hands did it take to bring the food to our tables? 
friends, I, I'm not asking for you to uh, drive a Prius and uh, hug a tree or whatever. I don't know. But are we asking a question about what it means to be faithful to Christ? And by engaging in the constant things that we do, like I, I'm thinking about how many subscriptions to entertainment services I have. I'm ashamed to admit I have Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon Prime because I'm a cord cutter. I think I'm saving money. I'm not on cable. I might as well just pay for cable. And I have unlimited resources and an abundance of entertainment options. And I wonder, do I look anything like the church in Smyrna that was willing to undergo poverty for the sake of their loyalty and allegiance to Jesus Christ? So I don't stand on a pedestal um, as one who's, I mean, I'm fully engaged in our economy. I'm a very good spender. I mean, but am I willing to, and so I admire the church in Smyrna, and I don't know that I'm there yet, of saying, what does it look like for me? Is there a suffering to endure for the sake of my witness? And so I'm not prescribing to you anything. I don't know what you're supposed to do. What I, am, what I am saying is, is we need to start asking this question. Is there something worth suffering for that I'm willing to suffer for for the sake of my devotion and allegiance to Jesus Christ? Is there something to give up so that I don't compromise where my loyalties lie? To where if you look at my life and if you look at our lives together, and that's the most important part, is that our lives together would be a testimony of the glory and splendor of who Jesus Christ is. And that our lives together would bear testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. And the question is, is are we willing to cry uncle? Are we going to cry uncle and give up? Or will we be a people who suffer for one another? for the sake of glory of Christ Jesus and His kingdom. Now, I, I know that's a challenging thing, and I don't think that it's like a ready-made answer and a quick practical application. All I'm asking is, is would this question become a part of our life together? Are we willing to suffer for this, for the sake of Christ and His kingdom, for our testimony together? Now, John, uh, John he says... He says that he's our brother and companion in the kingdom. And after this, this image that he's in front of with the, the majestic um, clothing and the white hair and the, uh, the thunderous noise of the waterfall that is his voice, in the cacophony of glory of Jesus Christ, John falls to his knees. He can't take the, what is before him. And, and if we could just get a picture of Jesus in all of his majesty and all of his glory and all of his splendor, what does he do? He reaches down and he touches John on the shoulders. And what are the first words out of his mouth? But don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. And he says, I have the keys. I have authority over death and Hades itself. 
And what Jesus is saying to John, amidst all of Jesus' glory and splendor, he's saying to John, you have absolutely nothing to fear. There is hope, there is salvation, there is goodness for you in my kingdom. Stop being afraid. And I think that that poses the next question as we consider how do we navigate a world that seems opposed to Jesus Christ, not seems to, that is opposed to Christ. How do we navigate a world where we feel like we're ostracized on an island, where there is a world bent on destruction and sin? When we are discouraged and we're not sure what to do, I think we need to ask the question, not just is there a suffering that we need to endure for the sake of our witness, but there's a question that we need to ask about the kingdom. Is there a kingdom promise for us to hold on to? I hope, and this is something that we need to encourage and cultivate in our congregation, is that we can remind ourselves often and frequently of the promises that are in the kingdom of Christ. That it's a kingdom that's not shakable. It's, it's, it's one where there is no end. Do you feel equipped and ready to be able to answer some of the kingdom promises that you have in Jesus Christ? And if not, then let's do that right now. Let's remind you of a few things. And there's just some things that jump out to me uh, in, uh, in this uh, text, in uh, chapters 2 and three, if you look at the, then at the end of uh, each letter to each church, it says in verse uh, two seven, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to them. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. A kingdom promise is God offering us the tree of life and hope, paradise with God. To uh, in Verse 211, whoever, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, that the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. If you'll be patient and you will endure, yes, you might endure suffering, but at the second death you will be saved and redeemed. In verse 217, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some the hidden manna, manna, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. God will write his name on us. We will belong to him. We will have all that we need in him. And the promise of the kingdom is that we will have all we need in Jesus Christ. The promise of the kingdom is that we will no longer see death. The promise of the kingdom is that all of our tears are washed away. The promise of the kingdom is life under the true vine, of, under the tree of life, and there is victory and hope and salvation and peace. And so, friends, when I look at the kingdom promises in Scripture, I, I need to know that there are things in my life that I can hang on to, these sort of constants, these unwavering things. One of those things has, that has always been a constant to me is my father and his love uh, for his work and his faithfulness. The sort of thing I could always rely on. When I was sick at school, I couldn't guarantee that my mom would be home. But I could always call 258-2721. And dad would answer the phone. He couldn't do anything about it. He was the only one working at the store. But I knew I could call and whine to my dad. 
there is a constant promise of the kingdom of God for each of his, uh, God's children. There is a kingdom promise for each and every one of us. And as we study Scripture, we need to know that there is a constant hope that we can cling to. And all of the majesty and all of the glory that is Jesus Christ is a constancy for us that we can trust and rely that the kingdom we are part of is unshakable and something we can give our whole allegiance to. And so I've written a few promises down. There is no one greater than Jesus Christ. He is Lord and Savior. He is victorious over death. If he is the first and the last, if he is the beginning and the end, then it stands to reason to me that he also holds everything together in between, the beginning and the end as well. That Jesus is among his churches. I love I love uh, how in verse tw- uh, 112, it's, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Among the lampstands lamp was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. John's opening picture is, and he explains what the seven stars and the seven lampstands are. It's these churches and their angels. And the picture is this. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, seated in the midst of all of them. That Jesus is in the midst of our church. Of His church. That Jesus is in the midst of all churches and there and He knows us. He knows our suffering. He knows our patient endurance. And we can know that He is the first and the last, the beginning of the end, and He comforts us. He is our power and our victory. He is right there in the midst of His church. In the image of Christ in Revelation, chapter 1, it should shake of us any notion that Jesus isn't strong enough to do what He says He's going to do. And Jesus is Lord and King, and He holds the keys to death in Hades. And that is to say that Jesus is the author and perfecter of life. That He can give us life. And so friends, there are situations in our life that will always demand of us that we hang on to the kingdom promise. We'll be a lot less likely to give up and to give in if we would only take a moment to reflect on the promises of the kingdom of Christ. And finally, my third question from this companionship with Jesus And this companionship with John in suffering and in the kingdom and in patient endurance is this. Does this situation call for patient endurance for the sake of Christ and his kingdom? Sometimes it's easy to give up on church. Sometimes it's easy to wash our hands of people. To do this thing I believe Jesus is calling us to a patient endurance. John has to rebuke the church a handful of times. In Ephesus, he says in verse 4, I I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. To Pergamum, in verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold on to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, that they 
ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. To the church in Laodicea, he says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Each church is going to be challenged to give in to a world and forget who Jesus is and what he promised. If we will faithfully ask these questions, I think we'll begin to do battle with the hypocrisy that often compromises our witness. If we will seek the answers to these questions, I think we'll find ourselves with ever-increasing hostility with the world, but it will be counteracted by an ever-increasing comfort in Jesus Christ. We can live a faithful life to Jesus Christ, for we are all companions with uh, John in this together. We can be faithful. We can endure. We can find strength and hope together in the promise of the kingdom of Christ. We can do this because there is one who came and patiently endured. There is one who came and offered us his kingdom. And there is one who came who suffered and died for all of us. There is no greater anguish than the anguish Jesus experienced on the cross. There is no greater love and patient faithfulness than displayed in Jesus. There is no greater hope and no one greater in the kingdom. In Jesus Christ. If I may have the liberty, I was reflecting on the stories and the letters in the churches, prayerfully considering what Jesus might say to us, the Etna Green Church of Christ. And so after careful prayer and reflection, I offer this as a word to the Etna Green Church of Christ. To the church in Etna Green, man, your preacher is awesome. Triple his salary and give him 10 weeks vacation. It was straight from the Lord. (laughs) All right, all kidding aside. To the church in Etna Green, remember that salary bit. And then, I have seen your love for children. I have witnessed countless acts of selflessness and caring for children. As I've opened my arms to children, so have you. You've shown the world a loving testimony of the priorities of my kingdom. I have seen your generous support of missions around the world, from your own backyard to the ends of my creation, from Russia to the Dominican Republic, from England to New York, from South Bend to Zimbabwe. Your generosity has shared the hope of Christ with atheists, Muslims, agnostics, and more. Your generosity has given water to the spiritually malnourished. You've given orphans a home. I have seen your deeds, your countless, numerous acts of kindness and generosity. I have heard your prayers. You continuously come before me with prayers of thanksgiving and petitions for your fellow believers. I have cherished your worship, your dedication to the Scriptures, your care for your minister and his family.
but I do have this against you. I desire your steadfast loyalty, and yet you often divide it. Between a devotion to your sports team, your work, your family, your shows, your everything else, I desire your fullest love, your fullest commitment. I desire time with you. And yet you often have squeezed every bit of your time with everything else in life, some of it good, much of it necessary. But I long for time with you. And won't you please give it to me? I desire mercy and forgiveness, yet you often lack it. You can hold a grudge and you forget how much I have forgiven you. Hold fast to my forgiveness as you learn to forgive and care for others. I desire you. I have come for you. I've redeemed you. I've saved you. Will you desire me? Will you love me as I have loved you? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I am seated at the right hand of God. And I offer you the kingdom of God. And to those who are victorious, there is peace There is love and there is joy and there is salvation. I desire you. Give your life to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for desiring us as your children. And God, it can be so easy for us to want to quit and say, Uncle. God, when life gets difficult, And when life gets hurried, you can often find yourself on the back burner of our lives. God, for much of our neglect of you, we we repent. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see you and find comfort in your promises and the hope of your kingdom. God, that we would seek your face, that we would seek... Uh, your will and your desires for our church, for your church family, God, that you would guide us and help us. God, we know that you desire us, that you long to be with us. You have moved heaven and earth. You will move heaven and earth again to be with us. You have given your Son, Christ, to seek and save the lost And God, we recognize that we have wandered in the desert. We've wandered far from you. And so, Lord, we give you our heart. We give you our life. God, heal your church. Guide your church. Help us to be a faithful and loving church that endures suffering for the sake of your kingdom. God, that our witness and our testimony would not be something that we give up so easily. God, we don't know how to navigate every situation. But we know that if we listen to you and you go with us, that we will do so in a way that's honoring and glorifying to you. And so, God, we pray for our church that we would be patient, that we would be loving, that our testimony would be clear. Jesus is our Lord and our King. May we live this testimony faithfully. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. We stand on Jesus, what's up?